Good morning. I'll see you in a moment. I'm going to move this out of the way. Ooh. Good morning, Forest Hill Community Church. Oh, that's nice to hear from you. Is these your glasses? I might knock them off if I'm down. Are yours? Have them, have them, have them. Have them. It's a gift. I know who they are. Um, nice to see you. I am speaking this morning from the book of Colossians. You may have heard about it if you're listening earlier on. And uh, we have a series of about 81, 82, uh, I think, uh, episodes in the book of Colossians that Jenny and Sam have organized for us. And I'm, I'm kick-starting this morning with the first of them, all right? 82, uh, 82 uh, sermons on the book of Colossians, or thereabouts. It's something like that, yeah. So everybody will get the chance to speak on it eventually. Anyway, um, what I wanted you to know is um, that I've left my Bible over there. Where? No. They're not my, <laughs> they're my glasses. No, here's my Bible. It's okay. I'm, I'm going to use this. All right. So, um, oh, there's my lip. Should I have my crash helmet on? Incidentally, that, 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 uh, that heated discussion that uh, Paul got into, uh, Alpha, was it because he, he, he told somebody they were wearing a crash helmet when they were wearing a, a nice head, headwear? I don't know. I am here to talk about the book of Colossians, and I'm trying to think. Oh, yes, I know. What I say today, Tim, may not be highly original. It may not be something you've never heard before. It may be timeless truths that you have, you've, you, you've, 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 you've come across these ideas before. Hopefully, I'll bring in some new perspectives. Uh, that would be quite nice if I managed to do that. But I'm not, in some respects, I'm not going to say anything that's new because this is timeless truth. And somebody did say, if it's new, it's probably heresy anyway. So watch out, for the, watch out for those new messages. Try to say something good. Well, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not promising that either, Tim. Well, I'm not promising that. I'm certainly not promising that. Um, yeah. Have you got a Bible with you? It would be really good if you have. Go open to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter And there are various themes that will come up through Colossians, and occasionally I'll, I'll touch on some of them, and I'll say that's one of the themes that you'll be looking at. Uh, but um, I might, might do that, may not, but as they, as they come along. But the most important theme is the preeminence of Christ. That's what comes through in the book of Colossians. Colossae, if you'd like to know, is uh, an ancient, ancient city, and it's, it's, well, it doesn't exist anymore. If you want to visit it, you'd have to bring a shovel. It's, it's, you know, essentially it's all covered in. It's not much of a tourist, tra- not much of a tourist attraction. But um, in its day, even when Paul wrote to the Colossians, it wasn't a very important city any longer. It had been in the 4th and 3rd century, centuries BC. And they'd been very good at selling a particular type of wool. They managed to uh, paint this wool red, deep red. It was a luxurious wool. You can't get it anymore. So if anybody does you know, come up to you after the service and say, how are you going for Colossian wool? All right, don't, don't buy it because it's, it's all past. But um, even when uh, Paul wrote uh, to this, um, this church, not only was uh, the, the, the location less important than it had once been, but a commentator named Bishop Lightfoot was mean enough to say that Paul, when he wrote to this church, he was writing to the least important church that he ever wrote to. It's quite nasty, isn't it? But it's not the least important letter because it's perhaps, you know, one of the most important letters is where Paul speaks with passion and eloquence about the person of Christ. And that's why it's in our canon of scripture today. It's all part of what commends it to us as part of the canon. So let's um, read from uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read from, from 1 to verse 9. 
Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven, and which you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is producing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Amen. Now, when Paul wrote to the Colossians, his, he had a purpose, and his purpose really was twofold. First of all, it was to encourage the, the church. He'd never met them. This is not a church that he'd planted. Probably planted by Epaphras, his friend, who he's referred to in this letter. Uh, and he writes to encourage them. He, he says, you're doing well, keep going. But he also writes really to warn them against the various heresies that are being forwarded by particular cults in that particular area at that time. So it's, it's a letter of encouragement and a letter of warning. Now, in, he starts off saying Paul. It's quite good, right, to, you know, just, just to make it clear who's writing. In those days, it's a bit like today when we get email. You can see who the email's from as soon as you begin to, to read the document. Uh, for uh, some time, many of us remember you know, getting bits of paper pushed through the letterbox, and you, before you could work out who the letter was from, you'd have to open it up and, and scroll, you know, look down to the very bottom of the letter to see you know, who's, who's writing to you. And this is a bit more like Paul just says, Paul an apostle. So at the very beginning, it's an ancient custom, just say who's writing at the beginning. And that's why he does so. But he says, an apostle of Christ, say, an apostle of Christ Jesus. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Uh, and he's really what he's doing is he's commending himself as he's saying, listen, listen to me because I may not plant this church, but I'm an apostle and I speak with some authority. And it's, you know, it may have been a, um, an issue for some of the Colossians because they'd never met him. But this, I think it's also why he mentions Timothy, who would actually, although we always think of Timothy, oh, no, you know, let no man, uh, was he a youth? No, let, let, let no man, what does it say? Did you read the Bible? Um, let no man despise thy youth. Uh, that that's not the only thing Tim, Timothy's famous for. You know, he's, he wrote the epistles as well. And Timothy was, was, was quite a, a, a feature in that, in that part of the world at that time. So people knew that he was a person uh, of authority as well. And he, he's kind of, Timothy, I think Paul is sort of name dropping a little bit by mentioning Timothy and Epaphras. Well, he says, I'm an apostle, so listen up. All right? So um, he gets to this verse. Uh, he says, to the holy and faithful brothers... In Christ at Colossae. And I think it's great that he's prepared to address uh, the church as holy and faithful. Sometimes we don't always feel holy and faithful. And it's an issue of identity because we have to ask ourselves, are we? Are we not? And it's like in God's word, God declares that we are, however we're feeling. Because we might, might say to ourselves sometimes, are we basically mess-ups who occasionally do the right thing? Occasionally we... You go to church, sing songs, and praise, and read the Bible, and do good deeds. Or is it the other way, way around? Are we people who are God's holy and faithful people who occasionally mess up? And I think that's a far more liberating way to see it. 
that we are first and foremost God's holy people. Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And I think that's a part of the truth for us. Our identity. Identity is, is very important these days. And you notice an awful lot of people are trying to work out who they are, where they're from, what they're about, where they're going. And it's all to do with this question of identity. And I'm going to tell you something that happened to me a little while ago, not so long ago, two weeks. And you might say it shouldn't happen, but it happened, so I'm going to tell you. Uh, I got onto a crowded tube, and I was looking around for a seat. I couldn't find one. Um, and anyway, um, I, uh, I know I shouldn't. But anyway, I, there's an attractive young woman sitting just opposite me where I was standing. And um, she caught my eye. And I think that I caught her eye as well. <laughs> because she smiled at me. She smiled at me. And I smiled at her. And then she spoke to me. And she said, would you like my seat? <laughs> there was a time when I used to stand up for attractive young women on trains. And now they're offering to stand up for me. I wouldn't mind, but it's happened before. You know. <laughs> if it keeps happening, I'm going to stop bothering that woman. You know. <laughs> but it's identity. And actually, what's interesting for me is that I, I did um, laugh to myself about it. And, and I think I'd been thinking for a little while about my identity, who I am in Christ. And I think I'm a Christian, and I am a member of the body of Christ, and I am, and I always will be. I think it's a great thing to know that about yourself. So I'm not continually continually endeavoring to settle this issue of who I am. Now, when, as I was brought up, I was brought up to believe that I was a young white male. And I was. And, uh, you know, you are young. And, and I've I'm continued to be white and male. But there's a point when you stop being young, isn't there? You know, there's a point, it's, you know, when you stop being one of the young people, probably around, you know, 22 perhaps. You don't believe it till 29. But, uh, you know, it's, it's something starts to kick in, and, and you have changed. And maybe, so some people, it's a birthday. It's be the 30th birthday, or the 40th, or the 45th. And people get concerned about who they are and their identity. And it's a great thing, I think, to be settled, say, it doesn't matter. I am a Christian. I am a member of the body of Christ. And that's who I am. So my age, that really is a, is a fleeting thing. So when Paul writes to the church there, the holy and, um, holy and faithful brothers, in Christ, he is, I think it's, it's, a, it's an example of how we are being told who we are and what we are. He says also in Christ, and that's crucial. We are in Christ. Something else on that, he, he, I don't know what your versions say. Does anybody say brothers? Does it say brothers and sisters? Maybe your versions, if you looking at the Bible this morning. Uh, uh, what's your say? Saints. Oh. Well, that's playing safe. Um, but I... I my version said brothers, and I thought about it for a little while, and I realized, of course, that, you know, of course, Paul isn't being sexist. He is using the language that was not only available to him at the time, but was understood in a certain way. He was being no more sexist than, say, Martin Luther King would have been when he, he gave his I Have a Dream speech, and he, he said he dreamed of a brotherhood of all man, men. He doesn't, wasn't saying I'm not including the sisters in that. Of course not. Everybody would understand. Brotherhood of man includes everybody. And same with um, today. If the scientists are on the television or the radio and they're saying we have a problem with global warming and it's the fault of mankind, nobody's suggesting that the women <laughs> don't have any part to play in this. <laughs> so, you know, it's just the way that, that language is being used. And, and so he uses the word brethren is including everybody. Yeah. Um, 
that next verse, grace, actually it's part of the same verse, it's still verse 2. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. Grace is a lovely idea. Uh, remember I said there doesn't have to be anything new today. So what would give me a good definition of grace? Anyone? Oh, that's nice. God's riches and what? God's riches at Christ's expense. That's great. What else have you got? Undeserved favor. I particularly like that, that um, definition. Anything else? Undeserved favor, unmerited favor. I think it's terrific. That, that's God has chosen to show that unmerited favor towards us. And Philip Yancey wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace? And in the book, he says that uh, as a young man, he walked away from the church because he saw very little evidence of grace in the church. But later on, returned to the church because he said, although he didn't see much grace in the church, he found no grace outside of the church. Outside of the church, he didn't find any, any evidence of it. And it's an interesting thing because I think Yancey says it's, it's perhaps it is the gift that we have, the, it's the gift the church has to the world. Is this particularly, it's a unique Christian characteristic. If you go into Waterstone's bookshop and you ask for a book on love or joy or peace, you'll find something. Uh, you could ask for a book on relationships. You could ask for a book on um, uh, honesty or integrity. And you'll find something. You'll get them, they'll fish something out for you. But if you go in and say, have you got anything on grace? They'll say, what? And you say, grace. Have you got any, you got any books on grace? And they'll say, what is it, Grace Jones? Grace Kelly? What you and they, 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 I don't think people really understand what we mean. I did a little Amazon search for myself on this. And Grace, all the books on Grace, they're just about people named Grace. And they really didn't grasp what we, you know, this idea of unmerited favor that we have. And I think it's terrific that we can perhaps be, you know, the idea that we can be good to people who aren't being good to us. That's something we can bring to the world. That's something unique. And people can't say, ah, oh, that's just, you know, it's, uh, the world can do the same thing because they don't tend to. Um, this, um, this idea, if, if, if you like the idea, well, we all like the idea of being recipients of grace, don't we? Recipients of grace. But the idea of being carriers of grace, uh, who wants to be a carrier of grace? Anyone? Can I see your hands, please? Anyone? Nobody. No, two people. That's good. Here's the challenge. I wonder how many of you are tippers. Do you tip? Do you tip people? Hairdressers? You don't. Uh, how about um, uh, hairdressers and taxi, taxidermists, taxi drivers, and, ta- and there's the other one? Um, Waiters, waitresses, of course, that's right. It's a quite, I, mean, I don't know if you tip, but if you do tip, if you don't tip, then start tipping. But if you don't, if you do already tip, would you tip somebody who gave you bad service? Why not? Because they don't deserve it. So it's just an interesting exercise. Just for, it'd be more good for us than it would for anybody else to actually tip somebody who doesn't deserve it. Next time you, you suspect the waiter having spit in your food, give him a nice tip. Be very gracious, wouldn't it? And if you come back with a fabulous testimony, let me know, and I might try it myself. <laughs> it's an exercise. Let somebody try that out. You know what I'm struggling at the moment? I, 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 um, I don't have many notes, but I've got a couple, and they're in here. Oh, now look. Oh, yeah. Um, so verses 3 to 5. Now, I quite like these verses. Quite simple, quite straightforward. 
Colossians chapter 1, 3 to 5. I read these and I had no problem with them. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we haven't, oh, sorry, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. So what he's saying is, we, we, you know, we really think you're doing great. We, we, we thank God for you. When we pray for you, we thank God for you. Uh, that's easy to th- think about. But have you ever come across a verse in the Bible that you don't understand? Anyone? You have. And what do you do? You ruminate on it for a little bit. You think about it. Maybe you talk to somebody. Eventually you say, I don't know what it means. I'll ask Sam. And if, if Sam isn't here, well, you know, I'll, I'll ask Jenny. And if Jenny's not here, I'll talk to Nigel. Even Nigel, I'll talk to Nigel. Well, today none of them are here. Um, I don't know what to do. Because the next verse really... The next verse really um, challenged me. It says, he talks about the, the, the faith and love of the, of the Colossians. He says, the faith and love, verse 5, the faith and love that spring from hope stored up for you in heaven and which you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel. I thought, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up in heaven. I just couldn't get my mind around what that meant. How can faith and love spring from store, hope stored up in heaven. And I looked up a commentary. I found Matthew Henry said something like, oops, help myself. Um, he said, the more we fix our hope on the reward in the next world, uh, the more we can concentrate on helping um, and serving people with love and faith in this world, or words to that effect. So he says, okay, there's, there's something to fix our focus on in heaven. And I still haven't quite got it in my mind what that is yet. The hope stored up in heaven. But I thought I'll go back to the three words I understand in, in, this, uh, in this passage. Faith, hope, and love. And we've heard those words before. And I remember that faith, it says that Christ is the author and perfecter of our faith. And in, uh, that's in Hebrews 12, verse 2, I think. In Romans 8, I think, it says, um, Who will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? And then I know that later on in Colossians, it says, uh, for, for, for hope, it says, um, Christ, the hope that is in us. So I thought, well, these words, faith, hope, and love, they're all, you know, you can think about them and they'll still direct you to Christ. And I thought, this is probably as good as I need to get, on, particularly in this particular um, passage. As I say, the whole book directs our thinking towards Jesus. And I've, I've, I've been given the task of taking us up to verse 9, as you go, as you continue, as we continue on through the book of, book of Colossians, we see this: the preeminence of Christ is spoken of, um, you know, quite uh, thoroughly. I wanted to um, look at uh, verse six with you, where Paul says, uh, "All over the world, the gospel is producing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing." amongst you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and its truth. And I wondered if that could just be hyperbole on Paul's part. He says the, you know, the, Bible is, he says the, the, the gospel has continued to grow and to flourish all over the world. So I thought before I just dismiss it, I would um, you know, check Google out and see if that might be true. And I did come across some interesting things. I'll have to use my notes for this. There's... A chap I came across, name is Thomas Schumacher, actually Schumacher, sorry, Thomas Schumacher, who's uh, he's a professor, he's a doctor of theology, doctor of philosophy, PhD, and um, doctor of divinity as well. So he's a 
you know, pretty smart guy, and he's been doing some investigations, these things, and he sa- he's also happens to be the president of the International Council of the International Society of Human Rights and the ambassador for human rights of the World Evangelical Alliance. So he's a smart fella. But he reports, um, this is back in only in 2014, that over 50,000 people are baptized in evangelical churches every day worldwide. That's pretty good, isn't it? Let me read that again. Over 50,000 people are baptized in evangelical churches every day worldwide. Well, when I read that, I thought, well, where are they? Because <laughs> I'm not bumping into them. And then, um, then I continued to uh, do my search, and I come across a fellow called Philip Jenkins, and he wrote a book um, called The Next Christendom, The Coming of Global Christianity. He's a distinguished professor of history at Baylor University in the United States and professor of humanities emeritus at Pennsylvania State University. So again, another um, intelligent guy who's just not going to make spurious claims. And he he writes that back in 1900, there were approximately 10 million Christians in Africa. And by 2000, just 100 years later, by 2000, there were 360 million. By 2025, conservative estimates see that, num- see that number rising to 633 million. The same estimates put the number of Christians in Latin America in 2025 at 640 million and in Asia at 460 million. Well, I can't expect you to remember all those figures, but the point, and that's why I need the notes, um, but the point is the church is growing somewhere. It may not be growing right on our doorstep. And, uh, you know, we, we, we know as well as missionaries will come back here and give us reports of, of the church growing in ways that it seems that we, we struggle with in this, in this country and in, in, the, in America and the Western countries. Um, it doesn't seem to be uh, flying as, as well. But it's still, Paul's words hold true, that the, the gospel is continuing to produce fruit and is, is uh, growing all around the world. Well, I'm going to come to... Let me read for you verse 9, which I'm going to jump to, really. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So it kind of is a good point for me to conclude because Paul's letter to the Colossians was really, as I said at the beginning, his purpose was to encourage them, but say, you need to uh, not be... um, persuaded by, by the various heresies that are flying about in the different cults. He's saying, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God. And as we proceed through the book in, in f- future weeks, we'll see that um, uh, the, the preeminence of Christ is spoken of very passionately and, and beautifully by Paul. But uh, I wanted to just end with this little illustration. Um, I heard of a, a woman, she, you may have heard of her yourself, back in 1925. Her name was Florence Chadwick, and she wanted to swim the, a channel. It was the channel was the, it wasn't the English channel. She did that as well herself. But um, she wanted to swim from the Catalina Islands to the coast of California. And it's about 24 miles. And uh, she was swimming, swimming, swimming. And at one point, you know, she gave up. She said, I can't go on any further. And on that particular day, it was very foggy. Uh, and then they, you know, they pulled her into the boat that they had there for her. And very soon she realized that she was really close to the shore. She, it was just that the fog had obscured her vision. 
And she said, if I'd only known how close I was, I'd have, I'd have continued. And I think it's um, a warning for us that, you know, if sometimes I know that we see through a glass darkly, we don't quite catch the vision of Jesus that we like to have. But to know that he's there and that we're, we're persevering and directing ourselves towards him and not to give up on that great hope. And it's from that hope that springs our faith and love. Thank you. Thank you very much.